0: Hello and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from RadioTimes.com. I'm your host Rob Lean and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is Russ Harding, the Chief Creative Officer at Maze Theory, a British game developer that has worked on numerous Doctor Who games and a Peaky Blinders VR title. In the week that David Tennant returns to Doctor Who on our screens, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to chat with one of the developers that have already trodden that exact same path. As well as bringing Tennant back to Doctor Who before the show did, Russ has also worked with Jodie Whittaker on various projects and Killian Murphy on Peaky Blinders The King's Ransom. This was a really fun chat, so let's load up that conversation. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And we've spoken a few times over the the last few years, but I don't think I've ever really asked you some of these things we're going to ask you today. I always like to kind of start at the beginning. What are like your earliest memories of of gaming and formative experiences that got you into gaming in the first place? That is going back quite a long way. (laughs) Way back. (laughs) Way back. So... I think
1: the first ever thing I ever ever had was a bineton pong game, but I suppose I don't know. My early memories are very mixed. I remember as a very young teenager going to the vids. So we had a cinema in our town, and underneath it, in the basement, was a. Uh, I suppose it was like a youth club without any of the supervision, and we could just play, you know, Space Invaders and Donkey Kong and all of those games that you really you just didn't have access to. I think a mix of that and I I had a Commodore 64 with my brother, which didn't really work out very well because we just fought over it. (laughs) (laughs) And things were really difficult to load and didn't really have a proper setup. But I guess those were my really early sort of memories. I guess they were all formed around when Star Wars came out and sort of playing down at the arcades. Just only could imagine really being able to do that at home. So yeah, there's some of my earliest. And I guess the thing that really kind of caught my imagination was the one thing I could play at home was Terminate I think Terminator 2. Oh cool. Because <laughs> you could suddenly uh you could walk down the street and you could drive in a car and it wasn't very sophisticated. But um it started to get your imagination going where you thought, like actually these worlds could be more than just digital sort of um, space invaders.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting that one of your first memories is like a a movie property going into the gaming world. So that's always been like one of my favourite little intersections is like when it's something that you know from TV or from a film and then it's uh, have a go at it yourself is always interesting Yeah, I think so. And
1: I think we also grew up in that generation where Spielberg and Lucas were making all those sort of, I suppose, video game movies. Uh, They're all the movies that I guess inspired us in into the industry and started to think about like how could you reenact being in those worlds
0: as you kind of grew up and got more and more into gaming what are some of the games that you think you've put the most kind of sheer hours into gosh uh actually i was going through them in my head because i thought you might ask uh and there were so many
1: i suppose the games i played the most were things like silent hill and resident evil those blew my mind because I don't know if you remember Resident Evil, I think they used to render out the backgrounds and you just moved the character around so they looked really, really rich. And you could pick up notes and uh, there were little elements of story that all felt very new and fresh and exciting. Obviously, things like Golden Eye and, and Tomb Raider, even back in the day, where they suddenly moved into sort of like first person. I suppose those are all the things that sort of fundamentally inspired you into the industry or made you feel like I really want to get into sort of making these games and feeling like they could be really rich experiences.
0: Definitely. From your kind of early days, are there any kind of games that you really wish would, would make a comeback or get a remake or anything?
1: Oh, It's really hard because I think some of the, th- the games in the early days were so great because they were just so unique. Each one of them seemed to bring something new. So, you know, like Res Evil and... Um, yeah, I played hours and hours of Sonic because we just had a Mega Drive, and that's basically the <laughs> only game we could play on it or <laughs> Ford Spy. Uh, well, I actually, most of the games have come back, have I mean, they? Like Doom and and things. I always liked Syndicate, which was that little Mafia Syndicate game. I don't mm, know if cool. anyone played that. That was a, an online game, a network game that you could, we played at at work we couldn't play it any other way because <laughs> there was no real internet and that was great you were a little gangster and it's a top-down view game but um we used to, have to play that for hours and hours
0: that sounds cool and how did gaming become your work what was your kind of way into the to the industry
1: i think like most people my time it was probably like a bit of a sort of staggered journey i i left art college all, all my show work was created on computer because I couldn't print any of it out. I did graphic design and illustration. And when I was there, I started to play around with HyperCard, if anyone remembers that, which was like very simple instructional go to the next screen, go to the next screen. Got really into scripting in Macromedia, Director. None of these things were particularly. Technically challenging, <laughs> but they did enable you to create experiences where um, a little bit like mist was very inspiring to me at that time because that felt like very attainable. And then I got a job as a, well, I coloured in pixels for a multimedia company and started to just get into sort of like design and production. Uh, we got into more games. We started in multimedia doing things like The Way Things Works, which was a famous book and it was taking those books and bringing them to life on CD-ROMs in the old days. And then gradually got more into developing games and then I think most people were fairly young within the teams because it was sort of like new technology then. And then I rumbled around with different careers, so being an artist, designer, producer, it was in the time when I suppose teams were quite small, ill-formed. We didn't really know what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> you work things out as you go. Yeah, yeah, thing. it's very different, I think, from now.
0: What were like some of the first games that you put out that you worked on? I
1: did a pinball game. <laughs> <How nice. laughs> that was that was a classic. That was uh, that was that was on CD-ROM again, and uh, we didn't have it. We'd never made a pinball game. hadn't played with real physics before. But um, that was quite a big learning curve into just sort of like gaming, just sort of like the different disciplines suddenly appeared. We'd had artists that were animators suddenly, some of the early ones.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, pinball, because you look at it and you think it'll be really simple, but I imagine there's quite a lot actually, of work goes into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's really, it's re, actually, pinball games are great. I remember playing them at the arcades. I'd love to do a pinball game again.
0: You should. You should. <laughs> bring it back.
1: Yeah, they are quite challenging though, and I think uh, because you have a number of different worlds you're creating, and you're dealing with the physics all the time.
0: Yeah, I bet. I bet it's complicated. Sometimes, <laughs> like, I don't want to uh, look under the hood and see what's actually going on in there, but I like just the bright colours and the things yeah. flying around. Like, that's that's where I draw the line. <laughs> How did? Maze Theory come about as a as a company. Then, obviously, much more recently, was that for PlayStation VR World? Was that kind of one of the first things that you did with that team, or was that or am I no? To so, that? Uh, yeah, I left. I think I left Sony
1: after doing PlayStation Worlds, and just around that time, I was freelancing. I was having a great time. I was never going to work for anyone ever again, or with a solid group of people. I quite fancied the idea of trying out different things. Interestingly enough, the first project I did was for Sony and for Sony Music, so I didn't get that far away. <laughs> <laughs> that was a VR project. But I met Marcus uh, Morby and Ian Hambleton, who just started up Maze. In fact, that was Maze. And Marcus had actually gone out and scanned uh, the Doctor Who experience that, before it closed down, and captured a lot of 3D models, some other work they'd been doing in an advertising ag- or oh, a design agency they both founded. And they'd just pitched Doctor Who to the BBC and been awarded it. And then I got introduced to them (laughs) and they said they needed to make it. (laughs) (laughs) We've we've won this pitch. (laughs) We've won this pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's, okay, Marcus is not going to be able to build this by himself. So gradually, um, well, quite rapidly reached out to a couple of our guest vets, lots of people that have been working independently. And we managed to ragtag a team together. And, you know, most people were passionate about Doctor Who, so it was quite easy to find uh, passionate developers that would, would join us on that journey.
0: I bet it's like it's such an exciting time for, for Doctor Who at the moment. So that's kind of part of why I wanted to have a conversation <laughs> with you now. I imagine there's quite a lot of crossover in the world of people who love gaming, people who love Doctor Who. Was it pretty easy to go around and say, hey, we're doing a Doctor Who game? People are yeah. like, yeah, i mean,
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, definitely a crossover in the industry between... Uh, it's amazing how much depth of knowledge people have but at various different stages depending on their ages as to what doctor they watched or you know how they grew up with it and and completely unknown to a lot of people in america that we were dealing with so it's quite interesting to introduce them to this concept of of a time lord and a doctor that lives <laughs> in <laughs> moves around in a telephone box
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah people who've never experienced it before it must be quite a weird thing to a uh... When, when you're like a child, you kind of just absorb it and you're like, okay, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. But <laughs> well, to explain it to an adult, I imagine it's less easy. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> see on that first Doctor Who game that you did, Edge of Time, obviously you had Jodie Whittaker on board. Was that kind of a given from the start or did you have to kind of go and recruit her as well? Like- we did. Uh, for us... Uh,
1: One of the things we were really keen on was to make sure it was authentic. And I'd worked previously with J.K. Rowling on some IP. And again, it was really important that we had her involved with that when we were at Sony. We felt that if we want to be authentic, we should really have the doctor. But yeah, it did take some negotiating because as you can imagine, when they're filming Doctor Who, no one has any time in their schedules. Jodie was actually jam-packed. But we did manage to convince them that for her to sign up, did mean that she had to do the voice recording casualties sound booth. So. <laughs> <laughs> big boring still.
0: Oh, because they're in Cardiff as well, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: so it's a case of trying to fit fit in and be really, really flexible around it. And we, we found that with all of the talent we've worked with is, is just trying to be really open and flexible and kind of work around them as much as possible. Because obviously we don't have the, the mega budgets of like some of the big productions. So
0: yeah. um,
1: we're appealing to their them being interested in the new medium of VR.
0: Yeah, it's always cool to see which talent from kind of other worlds do take an interesting kind of spot like an intrigued person, I think. What what was like that first experience working with Jodie Light then, obviously, (laughs) from Casualty sound booth to to our ears? Oh,
1: it's one of those things that we'd been building up for a really long time. So we were obviously really anxious, worried that we wouldn't capture everything, that we'd have to spend loads of time trying to put context around it. Um, but one of the great things is if you take talent whilst they're actually in the role and in that moment, uh, it was just, it's just absolutely nailed the whole, whole narrative. She kind of got the context of where the story was set and how she should be reacting. So I have to say it was really easy, actually. <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> and again, it was just very, you know, she obviously had really got into the, the character by at that point. So... If anything, it just added to it. So being able to just change and tweak things on the fly, but um, yeah, I think we were more anxious building up to it, in just sort of like making sure that we captured everything. But actually, we had more than enough time. It was um, a real pro. So yeah, no, so that turned <laughs> out
0: well. So. I remember thinking at the time that it was a really cool way round that you did it. That. Um, the player doesn't play as the Doctor, you kind of play as a new kind of companion type character. Do you remember kind of the thinking that went into landing on that kind of angle on the action rather than being like, you play as the Doctor because I think there's been games like that before, but this was quite a different spin on it.
1: Yeah, I think for us, it was about trying to make it as immersive as possible so that people can kind of suspend, you know, their disbelief in it more. Um, And by taking on a, by adding some of yourself because by playing the role of the companion we left it up to the player to kind of embed their personality a bit on onto that character uh, it felt more immersive than trying to play the role of a of the doctor and and not being able to be the doctor and also coming face to face with the doctor is such a great you know thing and to be part of her world and control the TARDIS and and feel like you're the doctor without having to be the doctor, really. <laughs> without the pressure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It allows you to do things that the doctor wouldn't do as well.
0: Yeah. Edge of Time being a VR game as well. I remember the first time, I think it was maybe at your office, that you showed me the um, bigger on the inside <laughs> moment where you kind of go in and then you can go out and stick your head around the corner and, you know, it looks, you know, exactly how you'd want it to look. I imagine a lot of work must have gone into to getting that right.
1: Oh, yeah, a lot of work. And one of the things that, um, obviously, we were. Uh, developing before the series had been announced or was broadcast. Oh, well, and everyone was being incredibly secretive about the TARDIS. So we had no idea what it looked like <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> so when they revealed it, we'd literally seen it a day or two before. And if you remember, Jodie's TARDIS is fairly complicated yeah it's sort of like a very crystal based and very Lots all of the park. things that you don't really want in a day. <laughs> <laughs> in a, a vr game that's very demanding on memory in time but um yeah the team did an amazing job we do, even went up to set measured all of the, the buttons and placement of it we had the plans for it we recorded some of the sounds as well for some of the switches and dials yeah it's always interesting asking everyone what everyone's what's this meant to mean and what's this for? I think it tend, depends to be on what the actor decides <laughs> they're for sometimes. So yeah. we captured it pretty accurately to scale and then they added stairs in it later on in in uh, the second season, I think. Yeah, that attention
0: to detail was amazing. I remember you even had the custard cream dispenser in there as my favourite little detail. <laughs> yeah, you've
1: got to really, haven't you? I think for us it's like looking at those details and also the things that the fans really appreciate. But yeah, I mean, it's really useful, right, to have a custard cream dispenser in your um, TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> very, very practical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. You just need to have, like, a in real life, a little packet of custard creams next to you and then you can just kind of munch one at the right moment. Like, yeah,
1: I'm sure some fans did. <laughs> <laughs> Full on experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the fans, I remember you saying that a lot of the comments you got on the trailers and things for edge of time which was obviously a vr game was kind of people who didn't have headsets yet kind of clamoring kind of begging please do a a console version of this or a kind of a non-vr pc version of this and um i remember obviously that project eventually became edge of reality but you didn't kind of just want to port it over did you wanted to kind of add in other stuff as well
1: yeah absolutely i think at that time as well we'd also had a lot of we'd created a lot of content when we were we were creating Edge of Time anyway. And as at the edge of time, the story doesn't really stop because um, you can go back in time. And we felt like that there was an opportunity to disrupt time. Uh, and also, if we were going to do that, bring in another doctor. The only problem was then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, there's lots lots to choose from, ever, ever greater number of doctors to choose from.
1: Yeah, there was a huge list. But again, we worked with the community a lot on that. We felt like if you're working with something like Doctor Who, you absolutely have to be working with the community as well as the showrunners.
0: And of course, that led to the fact that, uh, it still feels almost balmy to say it that that David Tennant was in a, a Doctor Who game a few years before he uh, came back to to the show proper. What was that experience like? Of of a asking could could we try and get David, and then trying to get David, and actually getting David. What was what was the whole yeah thing like?
1: yeah. It felt like we were really stretching the ass because obviously David Tennant is obviously one of the most popular present day doctors after Jodie at the time. So we did ask, we did expect a bit of a no, and then we kind of got a kind of like, oh, okay, um, well, it's all about timing. We were like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it was really just trying to fit in with David's schedule and making it as easy as possible. It possible, and we were pretty flexible about the way we worked with him. We were really keen, though, in the story, David Tennant's doctor fits really well to this premise of sort of like a shift in time and, and two doctors sort of meeting. So, of course, everyone's very, very stringent about and very precious about the law, so we wanted to make sure that we, you know, it probably had to be David Tennant to make the story really work, so... Uh, we were lucky that he said yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what was it like um, working with him? Was he phoning in from the casualty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> quite, broom he was, cupboard as well. Um,
1: again, so again, this was a remote session with, with David who had... Uh, maybe I shouldn't say. Probably won't appreciate it, but it had a mattress leaned up against the wall. We <laughs> had, a, uh, had engineers go in and stuff it his mic for him, and we had to do it all remotely. Now I'm beginning to try and remember at what time this was, but I think it was before COVID. But I still have some of the recordings, and they some of the funniest sessions in, in a sense, it's like completely. But again, it's just so uh, holds the character in, in internally so much that it was. Um, really easy to work with him in fact you know we could have probably done another two hours <laughs> <laughs> would have loved to have done really it was really entertaining
0: almost makes you think of um him in staged him being like at home with a mattress behind it sounds a bit staged like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: it's interesting how uh, and people have subsequently had to adapt a lot and and found different ways to do recordings and um but at the time i think it was it was we were just trying to approach it so that we could Make it as easy as possible because often getting people down to London to do to do voice recording sessions, you know, pretty difficult with everyone's schedules.
0: And what was the reaction like? So I remember you had that trailer when I, you know. The, the doors open, the, the virtual smoke machine is going off, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then uh, you know, I'm the Doctor but not the one you're expecting. What was the what was it like, A, putting that trailer together and then B, putting it out there?
1: Oh, it was great. When we put it out there, the response was really huge, especially, you know, the fans were really, really excited to see that David Tennant was reprising a role and going to play the Doctor. So we thought it would be pretty big with fans. It was, you know, we had gone to them and actually... Did, polled them a bit and spoken to them about various different doctors and quite interesting the sort of like different generations have a particular fondness but you know predominantly yeah i can see why david's back in the show now
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, do you look at him all over the the trailers and the marketing and everything and be like we got you first (laughs) yeah
1: yeah we did we did we did
0: (laughs) we didn't know then actually it's strange
1: um yeah you do wonder we didn't know then though that um uh, how the story would go at the end of this season. So, yeah, it, it was quite interesting to suddenly see that the Doctor popped up and it was David.
0: Yeah, very excited to see. I mean, if the timing all goes right, this episode should go out a few days before his first kind of full episode back in the role. I'm so excited, I bet you are as well, to see what happens, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's great. And it's one of the great things about the show that, that you, you have these Great strong characters of playing this you know the Doctor and bring something they bring something new each time, and I think people just relate to different Doctors as well. So there's a lot of emotion involved. I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to see see David though pop up. Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Uh,
0: speaking of like polling the fans, I bet like if you narrowed it even further to which like Doctor and companion combination would people most like to see back i think david tennant and Catherine tate as well is like it's kind of the dream yeah i think they're definitely a dream duo I would, they'll be great i look forward to seeing how they uh, address her head exploding when, when she remembers <laughs> about the doctor <laughs>
1: that's the great thing about doctor who there's always an explanation that can be found in law <laughs> yeah a bit, a bit
0: of techno babble with yeah. the sonic around it'll be fine <laughs> yeah and yeah speaking of like revisiting Doctor and other character combinations, the the bit that really sticks in my mind from Your Game Edge of Reality is the kind of the sequence, I think it's quite near the end, where there's like a reality virus that is like distorting, you know, the timeline and kind of creating kind of weird situations. And there's this kind of beautiful bit where you can hear David Tennant's Doctor recounting the story of his life. but It's like an alternate version of his life where in that great episode, um, The Girl in the Fireplace, that him and Madame de Pompadour kind of stayed together, and it's like this kind of beautiful kind of what-if scenario. Did you have to get, like, a lot of permission to be like, can we kind of go back and meddle with this episode a bit, but we'll put it back the way that we found it? Like,
1: Yeah, we did. Well, actually, I think we'd had have such a... had such a good relationship with the showrunners and, and the team at the BBC. They were really supportive. It also opened up doors for when we revisited... Um, when we did Lonely Assassins, which revisits blink i think including that and playing with that content just really makes it feel more authentic because that's what you would do in the show
0: yeah you wouldn't kind of like not touch anything yeah kind of jump in and kind of poke things and see how you could kind of bend and break things
1: it feels like you should it feels like you should go there because again it just makes an authentic story that fits in in with 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 the law and grows with the law
0: (laughs) yeah it was such a nice surprise as well because like you're not really expecting it because you've seen him earlier in the game but then to have that moment i thought was really kind of surprising and like really stuck with me i mean it was a little while ago that the game came out but that's very still kind of like vivid in my mind you're kind of like climbing up this bit and there's like these kind of things floating around and you can hear him i thought it was great but yeah i was going to kind of go from that into lonely assassins no no it's all all good you beat me to it but like talking about like revisiting beloved episodes there isn't many episodes or any that are kind of more beloved than than blink that kind of first weeping angels episode and oh, who's the, the company that you teamed up with on on lonely assassins
1: oh uh, that was with um
0: kai Gong. oh yeah yeah. yeah yeah and can you talk a bit about how did that premise come about the kind of idea we're going to revisit not just the weeping angels but specifically like the kind of larry nightingale kind of side of it from from blink and again bringing back a, a great actor what was it like kind of going and playing in that world and doing it in a completely different way, because that, that one's, you know, a mobile game so very different kind of technically as well.
1: Yeah, I think people were asking us if we would do a mobile game for um, Doctor Who, and we felt that we didn't really want to put a 3D game onto a mobile, and we were really interested in a game and immersing you in, in the world. Uh, ironically, I suppose when we uh, when Marcus created his first pitch, it was around Blink. He took a small part of Blink and did a little pitch. We should really share that because it's a really great pitch. But it so Blink felt felt quite nostalgic, and we all loved the episode, and everyone loves, you know, the Weeping Angels. And so it was really thinking about like, how we could bring those things together, and really was a fan of sort of like the uh, lost phone genre. It's not the biggest genre in mobile, but it felt like it was a great way of it, sort of like immersing people in the same way that you do in VR, but this time via mobile. And then the question came up is like, could we, well, what happened? What happened to everyone? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we went there <laughs> and asked the questions. And actually, yeah, it was really exciting that everyone suggests. So we actually went back to the location. We were taking BBC props in there for filming. So the, great, the really interesting thing about The Lost Phone Game is it's very close to a TV production um, as well because there's a lot of live footage. So, you know, taking Weeping Angels back to the original location was probably quite interesting for people living in the local area. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the
0: people who live around there know. Like, some, some of them are like, the nerdiest ones. Yeah, must yeah. I should... Yeah, I'd, I should have thought so, but yeah. Again, I think
1: you know it's great that the team is so open. Yeah, you know, do?
0: I think it's cool as well because you do again, kind of like taking bits and pieces from different kind of eras of Doctor Who and seeing how they interact together. Because you have Jodie in that game as well in an audio cameo as well, right? And then yeah. you have um, Ingrid Oliver as well. So it's kind of like these kind of three different kind of parts of Doctor Who all kind of kind of coming together in one package but that was
1: so easy to get everyone back but everyone was so excited to revisit that story and take it further and i think you could see the enthusiasm with ingrid and everyone in there as, as a character um and larry yeah <laughs> bless
0: him yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they were great to work with really good fun um and everyone really enjoyed the production because i think it was quite reminiscent from the previous production as well
0: yeah, again, kind of going back to licensed games in general, and that kind of being able to expand what, from what you get to see on TV or in a film. It's like in the episode Blink, I remember it, it kind of ends quite abruptly at the end. You know, Sally kind of sees the doctor at the end in real life and gives him the package with all the information in it and then he's like he literally just kind of runs off <laughs> yeah. in a hurry to go solve some other situation and it's like the end um but like to be able to go what happened to the kind of the characters that were left behind and what happened to the angels that were still there as well um i thought was was really nice to see and that's kind of like part of the reason i think why i do kind of gravitate personally towards towards games that are in universes that i know from somewhere else i think there's something special about it as a fan to be able to run around and and explore things for yourself and kind of uncover details that that aren't there if you only kind of watch the tv show or only watch the the film or whatever i think it's great
1: yeah i think when you're working with those ips having a deep understanding and working with the teams that you know around the bbc and with writers uh, it gives you so much depth that you really wanna take advantage of because it's a level of depth that you you have to create yourself. Otherwise, in video games, it's very difficult to create because you have to create your own law. And, I mean, Doctor Who's probably one of the richest laws that you could take yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> after after 70 odd years of, oh, I can't even remember, it's not 70, is it more now? It's 60 is the 60 one at the of, moment, yeah. yeah. It's incredible when you think back how long ago it started, but. There's that wealth of content to go back to. (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: Do you you think there was maybe a point there, maybe around the noughties or 2010s? I feel like there was a point where um, licensed games or games kind of based on existing franchises were kind of looked down on a bit by kind of the wider industry. I kind of feel like we're kind of through that now, but did you kind of feel that at any point?
1: I think it was deserved. I think what people were doing, some big companies were just taking traditional game mechanics and reskinning them with the IP. So that meant you were running around and rather than shooting, you were pointing your sonic screwdriver or you were, I think the difference is now that people are approaching it as being part of an immersive experience and creating games for themselves and using the influences of those IPs to develop mechanics and build them in a more intricate way. I think... That it's not a case of just skinning a kind of gameplay mechanic or sticking you on a cereal box, which is what (laughs) I was happening a lot with IP. I think now people treat it just as another way of storytelling and another way of sort of people becoming immersed in those IPs. It has a, when it's done well, it has a huge value because it brings people in. So, you know, we spoke to lots of people that had never experienced Doctor Who, but played the game you know, some VR influencers from Holland and America. And they were like, oh, so they started to watch the, sh- you know, the show because they were intrigued by it.
0: That's cool.
1: Um, so I think it works both ways.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting to think of it from the other way around because there are, I'm sure, plenty of people that have, that have bought VR headsets and they're kind of looking for different types of experiences on there and it still feels like we're in kind of the early days of people making games that are kind of more than just like a little proof of concept or a little sizzle reel of what a VR game that could be like but to actually make here's a proper story driven experience I can think of like I could I could start reading them off but there's not I would run out eventually. Of what yeah, so I yeah. think of.
1: <laughs> it's true I think that's though because is a, a difficult market in the sense that the technology is difficult. It comes out across different platforms, which is difficult because you have to keep converting your game from a developer's point of view. And it's not the biggest market. So, you know, you have billions of gamers on other platforms. So you are developing into a much more constrained, financially constrained market, which means budgets and are much more limited. But that doesn't usually... That doesn't mean that creativity is limited. It just means that... It's just harder for developers to sort of, like, work in that field, I think.
0: Yeah. I thought it was cool. After after the work you did on Doctor Who that you then went and did Peaky Blinders, I wouldn't have kind of thought, you know, it's not like a, an obvious, like, A to B kind of thing, but actually I, I could kind of sense kind of this similar DNA of, like, we're going to put you in this world as kind of a new character who gets to interact with you know, the, the real characters from the show and the real actors coming back as well. For you guys working on it, was that like, this is kind of going to take everything we've learned and kind of apply it to this, this different world and see how it goes kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I, I think immersing people in those worlds is not dissimilar to sort of um, Doctor Who in many senses. Like, you have a really strong fan base and it's actually... And a very immersive show. If you've ever watched the art direction around it, and the world that Stephen Knight's created, it, it does draw you in. And that was quite a big attraction for us, was the world that Stephen Knight had created. It's a familiar trope to everyone, and it meant that you could empower people to take on a role in that world and, and work, you know, with this big crime boss who we know is Killian Murphy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you had Killian Murphy. You had. Paul Anderson, what was it like, kind of getting those two back? Because it was like, if I remember it right, it was like the, the we knew that the, the show was ending, and we're still hoping that they're going to do a film. But then the fact that oh, they're doing a game, great! There's there is more stuff coming. Like,
1: yeah, it was it was a really tricky period because uh COVID hit right at the beginning of Peaky Production and right at the moment that we were going to start engaging with the Peaky team. So it made sh- scheduling really difficult. And then, unfortunately, Helen McCawley passed away during uh, that period as well. So it was, it was quite a complicated time for everyone. We were rem- suddenly remote and, and building, and we did wonder how the cast would feel about taking on like a VR game. But both Killian and Paul were really, really open. Helen would have been very, very open at the time, which is why we kept. You know, we felt she built such a legacy around Polly as a character. We felt that we would keep with, you know, having Polly in the game and then rather than trying to mimic Helen's performance, we uh, worked with Ruth Gibson, who did a fantastic job yeah. at kind of reprising the role. But yeah, again, it was, it was a world that we we thought you have to have the cast in to make it feel authentic or at least a number of the key casts. Of course, everyone wants to come face-to-face with Killian Murphy and Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: and um, it's interesting, like... I know I literally said a second ago, like, you wouldn't think there's an easy, like, A to B from Doctor Who to Peaky kind of correlation. But actually, when you think about it, like, Peaky does have a really strong sense of place and sense of time, as with Doctor Who. When I first walked into the TARDIS in VR, walking into the garrison in VR as well, it's like, oh, wow, they've really gone to, like... Absolute minute details to get this looking yep. lo- like it should look. And then that moment just before that, when you walk down the street and the uh, famous song starts playing over you, and you know, there's smoke and fire coming up from around the edge of the street. And it's just like, you do feel like, yeah, hey, I'm really cool and I'm in Peaky Blind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you light a cigarette, you walk down the street. I mean, it's very much about, I mean, VR is so great at being able to take you to places that you really want to be in. And Peak is a period piece, so it's really interesting to kind of explore, the, you know, the period as well as, you know, the sets and the locations. But we did have access to a lot of those. We were really fortunate that the teams worked with us really closely on the set design and locations. We were unfortunate that we couldn't visit the locations until quite late into the production. So we went to the Black Country Museum, and, and uh, which is where Charlie's Yard is, uh-huh. and we had built it. But actually being there in the real space, we suddenly realised how big it was. So we went back and changed a few parts of that.
0: And you're still in the thick now of getting that game, as you say, out onto all the other platforms as well. Uh, again, it's one of those things that as a onlooker, as a fan, you, you would think, oh, just, just put it on everything, come on. But then <laughs> the reality for you is uh, months of extra work, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's re- that, you know, that is probably one of the harder things about VR is, obviously, you've got to... You know Quest is a great device because it's, it's so accessible, but it's so different obviously to playstation v r and p c setups just in its the you know capabilities <laughs> so it's quite a difficult mix to work across um and you want to make sure that you release best as you can on each of those platforms the best experience that you can but yeah, it's quite an endeavour, I feel. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I appreciate you going to those lengths to get the game to, you know, to as many people as possible. And uh where are you at now in terms of figuring out what your next big project is gonna be? Are you hoping to kind of to revisit any of these worlds? Or are you looking for new things to do? Uh
1: we've excitedly got something new that we're working on, which is really exciting. Now, I can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) you But it's a world that's rich and different that we want to be in, so that's really exciting. We've also been looking at some experiments around um, MR, and we have a really exciting project called The Infinite Inside that we're building at the moment. Um, That should be out next year, early next year. And that has more of a puzzle take and it has more of our own little narrative world. But that takes place in your living room. And it's something you can figure out. Stuff like
0: that is really cool. I'm reviewing the Quest 3 at the moment. And one of the first things I just happened to try on there was like a little alien shooty thing, but it's in your living room. and It's like you have to like scan your room and then it'll be like, okay, there's an alien bursting through this wall and through that wall and you've got to shoot them all. And it was really fun. It was like, because it's got really good, I want to say pass through, like you can kind of see your room really well compared to like previous headsets would just kind of do like a kind of, rudimentary scan of your surroundings where it's like it's literally like you know a bunch of aliens coming through your ceiling or whatever and like yeah really
1: cool. i'm really excited about mr when i was at sony we did wonder and ipad which were both augmented reality games um and they were quite restrictive in the sense that you had to have a camera pointing down and then you looked up on the tv and i think augmented reality always suffered a little bit from being on mobile because burns your re- battery down very quickly using the camera. I think it's really exciting in VR, MR, especially using the headsets. So yeah, Infinite Inside uses both, so it has a mechanic that draws you into the world and then places you back into your real room. That's so cool. excited about
0: that. I also look forward to trying that out. Hello again, I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to tell you about the radiotimes.com gaming newsletter Stuffed with all the latest news reviews and explainers This free weekly email will really help you stay ahead of the game It'll arrive in your inbox every wednesday Highlighting all the releases you need to know about along with my genuine recommendations So if you're enjoying this podcast head over to radiotimes.com slash gaming newsletter to hear more from me every week And now back to the episode and I have some quick fire questions for you as okay. well, just to take us <laughs> to the to the end. Just in terms of your personal preference, are you more of a console or PC person?
1: Console, I'm lazy. Oh, nice. Uh,
0: are you a PlayStation or an Xbox person? PlayStation. Oh, uh, nice, of course. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, are you more, this may be more of a back in the day one, uh, kind of a Nintendo or a Sega person in that?
1: Nintendo. Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting. I definitely love the IPs around Nintendo love Mario and yeah I love it's very playful isn't it Nintendo
0: yeah have you played Mario Wonder? no oh it's really good it's really good Um, are you more of a solo or multiplayer person
1: oh solo nowadays I think
0: did you ever have like a kind of big multiplayer era at any point
1: probably not I've I've got a couple that I really want to play actually that are on my list to play that Mm -hmm. I haven't so no I'm just not very great at being that competitive anymore yeah, no. <laughs> save yourself yeah. uh, are
0: you more of a playing with headphones or kind of TV speakers noise kind of person
1: oh I'm TV sp- everyone can hear me playing a game <laughs> <laughs>
0: fair fair I was like if, if you're doing a VR game but like you have the sound up loud enough that other people can hear the sound, but they can't see what you're looking at. That's like a sweet spot for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> just just, just annoy, annoy my wife and she won't even yeah. be able to see like what, I can, what I'm yeah, actually yeah. doing. Yeah, that's all annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you have a kind of a whole evening ahead of you to play games tonight. What have you got kind of half finished in the backlog that you're kind of trying to finish at the moment?
1: Oh, uh, well, weirdly, I've been playing some, well, I've been playing Valheim, I've been playing. Oh, yeah. But I haven't got... I'm just not very good. (laughs) I love survival-type environments and Vikings, so I should be better than I I am at it. And Baldur's Gate is sitting there. I haven't started. My son's playing it now.
0: Oh, nice. How's it going?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be getting on fine with it, but I I haven't yet. I have a stack of games, actually, that will build up probably towards Christmas. It's usually when all the BAFTA games are sort of like you get time to play them, so I'm lucky to get a few access to quite a few that way. but but loads of unfinished games, though,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> always always the way. And uh, when you do kind of have a nice evening to play games, are there any kind of like snacks or drinks that you want to surround yourself with so you don't have to kind of get up for too long? Classic
1: always used to be Pringles and Coke or pizza and Coke. I don't yeah. think you used. Those things should ever change. They kind of go hand yeah. in hand. What, uh, what flavour
0: Pringles is your favourite? Probably
1: um, uh, sour cream. and. Oh, and interesting. Apparently they're built to be addictive. I've, I've heard that. They were <laughs> kind of, They don't have anything natural in them at all. But they go very well with gaming. Yeah, they
0: do. <laughs> you wouldn't think they would because like the tube is quite awkward and that's going to like... Yeah, you can sometimes
1: get your hands stuck in the tube whilst you're trying to... It's... <laughs> it, is a... <laughs> it is what it is.
0: <laughs> And uh, this is the final question, if you could only play one more game for the rest of your life, this is, you know, your one more life in the gaming world, which game would you choose and why? So this is a weird one because of my age, but probably Minecraft. Oh, interesting. Because I
1: think, um, I haven't played it enough. I played it, um, for me, it's probably the ultimate game in that it's design game design over function or visuals. And... I just don't feel like I've spent enough time in it. I really, really love the fundamentals of it. It's just an open world where you can create your own stories, if you like, but it's still got enough of its own world lore to kind of keep you interested.
0: Uh, That'd probably be the one. Nice good answer it would, i think it would serve you well over a really long period of time yeah, as yeah well. yeah exactly <laughs> i wouldn't have to
1: buy another game it'd be perfect <laughs> perfect
0: well russ thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk to us today it's been great great thank you it's been great to be here <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy the doctor who 60th this weekend <laughs> yes i know it's
1: just looming it seems to have been coming for ages yeah so, definitely crossed. it'll be good
0: Thank you for listening to One More Life. For more from us, head over to radiotimes.com gaming. There you'll find all the latest news, reviews and guides that you need to know about. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness. And until then, happy playing.